Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a Beverly Hills-based psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. Thanks for joining me here where I talk about sex, relationships, mental health, and dive into your questions with practical answers and real solutions. Each week, I share insights aimed at helping you build an authentic and healthy relationship with yourself, with others, and with your sexuality. It's time to get naked emotionally, mentally, and on your own time, physically. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Kate Balistrieri, licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, the founder of Modern Intimacy, and your host of the Get Naked with Dr. Kate podcast. I'm so excited today to be speaking with David Khalili. He's a licensed therapist, a board-certified sexologist, and the founder of Roos Relational Wellness, a boutique sex and relationship mental health wellness therapy center serving San Francisco and all of California. David has a new book out, the Mental Health Workbook for Men, Exercises to Improve Your Emotional, Psychological, and Social Well-Being. And he recently published this to help men improve their relationships with themselves and others. David, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. What, what got you started in thinking about creating a mental health workbook for men specifically? Yeah. So uh, to go way back in time, you know, I, I, um, I grew up first generation American born. Both of my parents uh, immigrated here from different countries, very different religious backgrounds. Uh, but sex and relationships were always something that we talked about openly in my, my household and joked about. And um, I noticed in high school and in college, uh, people were really uncomfortable talking about sex, you know, and especially some of my guy friends, you know, they would, they would kind of joke about it, but then not really talk about it directly. Um, and then for myself personally, I also noticed, you know, being queer, being mixed race, multi-ethnic, uh, that I often felt like I wasn't enough or I was told that I wasn't enough to fit into one category or one identity. Uh, and that definitely added a lot of issues for myself and my own kind of identity formation, identity journey, if you will. Um, and so I really wanted to create my practice, Rouse Relational Wellness, and also the book as a way to help people feel like they can really integrate all their parts that, you know, we're all collection of beautiful parts within ourselves. And so um, over time with my practice, you know, uh, I've been in, been in mental health for about 15 years and sexual wellness for about 20 years, mm -hmm. but Rouse is about two years old. Um, and over time, I've worked with a lot of men who uh, really had challenges accessing their emotions. Myself, I had a lot of challenges accessing my emotions in my younger years and um, noticing the stigma, experiencing the stigma about accessing emotions, talking about emotions, um, really, really motivated me to create this workbook and create my practice in a way where uh, men and, and people that are you know in relationships with men whether it's romantic or familial or platonic um you know that these men can have a way that they can really be all of themselves and 
not feel like they have to show up in a certain way in order to be accepted or taken in. Yeah. I, I so appreciate that perspective. It, it, <clears throat> I think what, what I'm hearing is that you understand this very, um, unconscious experience of normative male alexithymia that so many men don't even realize they are walking around um, holding as as a, an approach or rather an avoidance of emotions or a disconnection from emotions. And it's a part of the gender, you know, gender role, social conditioning that a lot of men get systematically disconnected from their emotions over time. And it makes it really challenging for them to have a really productive, conscious and um, agentic relationship with their emotions mm -hmm. as adults. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm uh, someone that I truly look up to and wrote about in my book and actually talked to some other authors of uh, men's mental health books. And we all kind of joke that we're um, referring a lot to Bell Hooks and I hope, yeah. I hope she's okay with that. But I think it's like really amazing work that she's written and mm -hmm. the book, The Will to Change is a truly transformational book out there. And she talks beautifully about uh, the concept of soul murder uh, where, you know, boys that are growing up, they're, they're taught, uh, systematically, like you're saying that, that, you know, they can't have access to certain emotions and over time they consciously and unconsciously kind of kill off parts of themselves in order to fit in. And I see a lot of, you know, rage coming from that, a lot of dissociation, a lot of sadness, loneliness. And so, yeah, my, my mission is to really help guys talk more comfortably about emotions, about sex, about relationships, about their needs. I really appreciate you bringing up Bell Hooks. She was she was such a compassionate writer for everyone. And what I really one of the things I love most about her work, and I think it's in that book, is that she talks about how young men are the first victims of patriarchy because of this soul murder and because they are consistently distanced from their their fullest experience because of the the shaming around even knowing their emotions, let alone expressing them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, my hope, my hope is to really help kind of build up more of that, more of that access, whether it's through books or, you know, podcasts like this or, or other, other modalities, other mediums. <clears throat> well, I think your workbook is a really um, important and interesting bridge for a lot of men, because in the work that I've uh, done with many men, it's, it's easy for us to say, feel your feelings, right? But what does that even mean? And when you're so disconnected from your feelings, a lot of men, I think, feel frustrated when they're first learning about their emotions because they don't have those muscles developed yet. And so it feels like they're sort of free falling into a chasm and they don't know what to do. And they feel often really um, demoralized in the work. And so I see books like your workbook as a beautiful bridge because a lot of men want to do. <laughs> and right. so yeah. the workbook gives them something tangible to like do that they can start, you know, little by little inching into the feeling and the being of being yeah. a man. Yeah, thank you for naming that. Yeah, I, um, I've noticed also, you know, in, in previous times, I uh, I really like dialectical behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. And there's been some times with male clients of mine where we kind of hit this frustrating stuckness. And I've like, just kind of grabbed a book off of my bookshelf. I'm like, here, just go home and work on this. And we'll talk <laughs> about it later. And was surprised that, you know, like, okay, they, you know, they followed through and, um, I think it's also about your relationship to learning. You know, a lot of guys 
are raised in a way where they're supposed to just know. Um, and I know you've talked about this and we talk about this sometimes, of especially uh, guys who have sex with women, feeling like they just have to, to know how to have sex, how to give orgasms, as if there's no kind of communication. <laughs> right. Research, <yeah. laughs> and so, you know, also working on the, the fact that like, it's okay to learn. It's great to learn. It's exciting to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to make mistakes, but um, you know, so hopefully some, by doing it with a workbook or with a, you know, with a trusted therapist that they can learn how to make those mistakes and learn how to learn and be okay with going slowly if they yeah. need to. Yeah. You outlined um, several core areas of impact in your book that men are, I'll use the word vulnerable, vulnerable to, even mm-hmm. though I'm sure men listening will bristle even hearing me use that word. Right. Um, but I think that the categories you outlined are in uh, are vulnerabilities for men because of, you know, what we're talking about right now. Yeah. I think some of, some of them are, you know, comfort talking about sex is a big one. Um, a big mission that I have right now is also to help men talk to other men about sex and emotions. Yeah. I think a lot of men uh, were raised or yeah, raised in a way where they felt more comfortable talking to women and femme folk about emotions, about needing help. Uh, and so like some of the men's groups that we run here uh, are really geared towards helping guys feel, feel that vulnerability of giving support, seeking support from other men. Um, I think, Anxiety gets in the way of consent sometimes. I was I was just on uh, Mistress Midori's podcast and we talked about anxiety and shame getting in the way of consent. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there's an anxiety around chasing your orgasm, uh, mm-hmm. especially for guys who have performance issues or concerns about performance issues, and they they just want to come orgasm. And so what ends up happening is they end up disregarding their own boundaries and needs. They disregard their partner's boundaries and needs. So there's there can be consent violations or boundary violations. Um, and I think shame is a big thing that, that men face, lots of people face, but for this conversation, men face, and again, around learning, around doing it right, um, mm-hmm. around you know uh, having sex in the right way or around expressing emotions in the right way. Those are big ones that we see. Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> oh, my dog agrees. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing a theme, right, around uh, having to look or be experienced as perfect or without fault. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit to how this workbook or how, how men in, in general can, can really challenge that need to be perfect and kind of embrace leaning into the imperfect. Mm. Yeah, one thing that I like to model is when I don't know something, I, I admit it, <laughs> you know, it, it seems really simple, but I think for a lot of guys out there, there's this pressure to, like I said, know everything and, and to just kind of <laughs> fake it till you make it. And so, you know, again, the, the encouragement of learning, the encouragement of making mistakes, the encouragement of playing around, being playful and creative. And, um, you know, one image that I like to say with some guys that I work with is, um, let's just throw out our ideas in between us and we kind of point to the rug between us and like, and we can just kind of pick through and go through them. Or I say, imagine this scenario or this emotion or this issue is like a, a sculpture that you're looking at in a museum and you're looking at it from all angles and you're just kind of walking around it. And so just encouraging that being exploratory, not being transactional uh, and being really curious. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I, I hear that it creates more dimension in the room that you're in, right? When you're addressing mm. a, a problem or a topic or a question. Um, and that curiosity invites <clears throat> some added layers and, and complexity that maybe are, are hard to see when somebody's invested in, in being seen as right or um, infallible. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just admitting, I don't know, or can you help me? Or what do you like? <laughs> you know, those are all great questions to ask or to say. Yeah. So when you talk about your workbook, uh, I've heard you say things like the workbook um, helps men break through stereotypes and, and it approaches men of all different lifestyles, backgrounds, sexual orientation, gender, and really kind of moving through this need to be uh, perfect and like always strong, always confident. And like, let's talk a little bit about what that, when men can't get there or they haven't gotten there yet, where they can accept their imperfections, what can they expect to see in their day-to-day lives, in their relationships, in their sex lives? And also what do they start to see when they actually do lean into being imperfect or not having to be seen as somebody so strong and powerful all the time? Mm. Um, So I think for the first part, you know, what they're seeing when they're having a hard time accessing their emotions is, you know, they may feel like some brain fog. They may feel um, agitated. You know, I I hear from a lot of guys that they just get really frustrated that they they can't really label what's going on for them. you know, so they may have like a short temper or, or like ease, it becomes easier to get frustrated sometimes. Um, you know, where oftentimes like blaming others for their emotions or, or blaming others for their, their reactions. Um, and what ends up happening is when they start to access their own muck, their own stuff, uh, they can start to take ownership. They start to, they take ownership of their capacity, their reactions. They may say like, oh, that triggered me, but they'll be able to say like, but it brought up this within me and this is something that I need to work on. Um, or they may start to hopefully start to kind of understand their capacity for things to know like, you know, I can't work the 12 hour days that I used to. This is me back when I was bartending. Uh, <laughs> or I can't, you know, do whatever it is, but to know that they don't have to kind of be the the Superman or whatever, that they can just take everything and take anything. And one thing I talk about in my book is, um, and it's quoting Rick Hansen, uh, who talked about resiliency, that resiliency isn't just being, being able to like take anything and everything. It, resiliency is actually like knowing your capacity, knowing your boundaries and knowing how to say your boundaries as well. And so I, that's my hope of where we can, you know, where guys can get to once they start to understand their emotions more. Yeah. You have your own goals, your own, you have your own accountability, you have your own values that you follow, um, you know, with acceptance and commitment therapy that I really like. One of the reasons why I like that, uh, the same with out of control sex behavior modality is, mm-hmm. you know, it's really values based. It's okay. What is your value or what are your values? Um, and I really appreciate that, especially because it, it has this way of, we're not telling you what to do We're we're helping you identify for yourself and helping you follow it. Um, so I think that that can be the positive piece of, you know, being productive, um, uh, being productive or having that, that expectation on yourself, it can give a sense of like confidence, um, you know, knowing you have the ability to see something through. Um, but yeah, the other piece, it can really, uh, really instill shame and anxiety. If you, if you have this like thin margin that, you know, uh, where that you can meet for success, then there's 
so much possibility of failing uh, or of, you know, humiliation or whatnot. And then depending on how, uh, what expectations you hold yourself to or what your trauma history is like, you know, where you bullied excessively by other kids, by parents, by caregivers, teachers, um, you know, what, what voices have you internalized in order to, um, like keep you perfect? And then what do you do when you find yourself not being perfect? Do you just hide for a while? Do you go to substances? Do you act out in certain ways? Do you harm yourself in certain ways? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned a, a few things that, that seem to come up a lot in terms of themes, not just with men, but, but certainly I see it amplified with many men. Um, and particularly what comes to mind is the relationship between shame withdrawal and difficulties with accountability. I wonder mm -hmm. if you're seeing connections between those three things at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why like shame is the important piece to look at, because if you take away <laughs> or as best as we can take away some of the shame, um, then there is the, the willingness to see yourself as multiple parts that mm -hmm. just because you didn't do well in one thing doesn't mean that you're, you're bad in its entirety. And so, working on the shame piece can then make it more um, or less risky to admit a fault. You know, then you can say, okay, the, the teenage part of me came out and got excited and uh, that's why I bought that new thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think then it can really kind of take away some of that, that pressure, that, that surveillance that we have inside our, ourselves. Yeah. I think it's really liberating for a lot of men to start leaning into that. Like what, once they're, once there's a little bit more comfort in just being able to take ownership of the areas that are messy, right, in our behavior, yeah. in our lives, in our thoughts, there's a lot of freedom in being able to say exactly what you just said. Oh, my teenager was super, my, my inner teenager was angry and having a moment, you know, uh -huh. sorry about that. Let me clean up right. the mess that we made. And, and there's enough compassion there to be able to move through the rest of the day, the rest of the relationship without needing to be punitive or self-restrictive or de deprivational in some way as a way to kind of make up for that mistake. Absolutely. Yeah. It becomes like a, a domino effect. Yeah. Addie. Ladies, did you know that one of the most common complaints from women about their sexual health is a frustrating low libido? Our sex drives can decline, but it's also treatable. Addy, or Flibansarin, is FDA-approved and has been clinically proven to increase sexual desire in certain premenopausal women who are bothered by a low libido. So if you feel like you've lost your desire and you want to get it back, stop falling for the snake oils and ask your doctor about Addy today, or go to Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Addy is for premenopausal women with acquired generalized hypoactive sexual desire disorder, HSDD, who have not had problems with low sexual desire in the past, who have low sexual desire no matter the type of sexual activity, the situation, or the sexual partner. The low sexual desire is troubling to them and is not due to a medical or mental health problem, problems in the relationship, or medicine or other drug use. Addy is not for use in men or to enhance sexual performance. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is increased if you drink one to two standard alcoholic drinks close in time to your Addy dose. Wait at least two hours after drinking before taking Addy at bedtime. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is also increased if you take certain prescriptions, over-the-counter or herbal medications, or have liver problems. Low blood pressure and fainting can happen when you take Addy even if you don't drink alcohol or take other medicines. Do not take if you are allergic to any of the ingredients in Addy. Allergic reactions may include hives, itching or trouble breathing. Sleepiness, sometimes serious, can occur. Common side effects include dizziness, nausea, tiredness, 
difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep and dry mouth. See full PI and medication guide, including box warning at addy.com forward slash PI or call 844-PINK-PILL. Go to addy.com and use code GETNAKED for a $10 telemedicine appointment to find out if Addy is right for you. Well, let's talk a little bit about desire discrepancy. I think mm-hmm. this comes up for folks no matter what their gender is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I work with many men who kind of struggle, whether they are the lower desire partner or the higher desire partner. They seem to have, um, of course, this is a gross generalization, but, but they seem to have a little bit more difficulty in finding a, a way to reconcile those differences and negotiate for something that's sustainable for both for all partners. And I wonder, how do you approach that with men and what are you seeing? Yeah, um, you know, regardless on what side of the, the spectrum that they're on of the desire discrepancy, I, I first want to uh, acknowledge the frustration that they're feeling, you know, yeah. either the pressure that they're feeling to have sex with their partner or or the frustration of, you know, I, this is really important to me and I've named it a bunch of times, but I don't know what else to do without causing more of a, a disruption or, you know, um, uh, frustration in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would kind of meet their emotions there. And then um, one psycho ed piece that I like to bring in is from Martha Cowpie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for, for listeners, you know, she's a great sex therapist in the Midwest. Um, and she talks about the linear model of sex versus the circular model of sex. And so I talk a lot about um, that piece, you know, where the linear model of sex is kind of like this escalator where, uh, you know, it's like the bases that people talk about. Mm-hmm. And you, in order to move through the linear model, you, you know, the previous step needs to work and then trying to define, okay, well, what does work mean to you? Uh, and then the circular model of sex, I, I mentioned as like this, 1970s rotating furry bed of love and on the edge is all these <laughs> options that you can choose from <laughs> and um you know and not one of them has to lead to another type of sex act or an orgasm or whatnot and uh talking about those options within there and, and also highlighting that you know understanding your um your accelerator and brakes your turn-ons and turn-offs are really important there um knowing that you're going to kind of your nervous system is going to get ramped up and then sometimes it's going to come down again. Uh, but really kind of expanding the definition of intimacy, expand, expanding the definition of sex, um, you know, acknowledging like if they're the higher sex drive person, great, you know, penetration is great or orgasms are great, but there's also all these other things that we can, that you can do. Um, and so really trying to expand all of that, uh, to help them understand that, you know, there's many different ways to go around this so that it's not just this kind of one option. It gets frustrating when we try and it doesn't work and then we just stop and then we're disconnected. Um, what I'm really trying to do is keep things warm between the partners so that they can mm-hmm. stay, stay connected and, and close together. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really important piece, right? So much of what I think gets lost in, uh, in desire discrepancy is the way in which people are trying to connect, right? And often the higher desire partner, sure, do they want to have sex? Yes, but but what else do they want through sex? And often it is that desire for connection and 
and sex is a vehicle that they feel safe enough to sort of uh, move through to get that connection. And so when we are able to parse that out, suddenly there are all these other opportunities for connection and ways to stay close. And as you put it warm with each other and, mm -hmm. and that relational safety is often what can help the lower desire partner feel more excited about sex and, and engaged in sex. And so it's, right. it's kind of a paradox, but when you can look at, look at what else is underneath the sex and what sex uh, is doing for you, then maybe you'll actually have more sex. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And like you're saying, you know, with the lower desire person, what, what's going on that's preventing them from feeling safe enough from them feeling relaxed enough, um, you know, to, to be present in, in whatever type of sexual acts that they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about anxiety closeness, um, especially uh, anxious attachment in men. What does it look like and, and how are you seeing it show up with men as opposed to how it might show up differently in folks of other genders? Yeah. Um, you know, we do see a lot of avoidance, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's related to the shame that's related to um, not being able to access emotions or, or you know, um, having a different relationship with learning where that they're a little more strict on themselves. Mm -hmm. And so the avoidance can, can look like, you know, uh, relationships or dates going really well in the beginning, but then over time they kind of start to pull away as things deepen. Uh, it could be, you know, hooking up a lot or having just like one, you know, first dates, um, as a way of kind of maintaining that connection, continuing that connection. Uh, but then also it can just be kind of going into their own world and, and isolating in a way. Um, and then looking at whatever like narratives or thoughts are around that, you know, maybe it's, I can't find anyone good enough for me, or I'm not good enough for anyone else. You know, what is it that's going on under there that needs to be kind of sussed out and understood and, and challenged? Yeah. Yeah. When you think about uh, kind of the, the difficulties that, men face as they start to embark in this work? What are some of the things that you see as the biggest impediments and how do men usually start to push through that or work through it? I don't want to say push. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think if, uh, if you're the kind of guy that is new to this, this type of work, it's important to know that it's not going to be this transactional quick fix that this, uh, as much as we're in the medical model, it isn't very much the medical model where you come in and you get kind of a prescription and then you, you go and you're good. That this is a, a lot of, a lot of continued work, um, in session and in between sessions, uh, where, you know, you are really kind of understand, trying to understand yourself, trying to work with yourself in, in these ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know you, you're really passionate about um, exploring mental health for first generation and third culture men and particularly queer men. I mm -hmm. wonder if you can maybe speak a little bit to these different groups of men and, and some of the things that might be unique for their experience. Yeah. Um, you know, as someone who, you know, is third culture myself, you know, navigating the, the many different cultures that, that you're holding and, um, you know, you're also influenced uh, by those various cultures' beliefs on sex and relationships and masculinity and and emotions. And so, um, working with those men to really identify for themselves, going back to you know ACT, the values, identifying for yourself like what it is that you you like and don't like, who you are, um, going through 
the the messages or narratives that you received about what it's like to be a man and what it's like to be someone of your culture cultural background um and then sussing through those and saying okay uh as much as we can work on this you know what are these messages that you want to keep and what are these that you want to start to work away from um you know because there can be so many competing different influences going on that it's really important to ground yourself in that moment and say okay what is it that i like um and then i think finding ways to integrate all of your parts as best as can be is really important the first time i went to a middle eastern queer club night in san francisco was an amazing transformational experience for me to hear you know middle eastern music that i listened to as a kid uh, at family parties and then seeing you know these beautiful queer folks dancing and celebrating to that music it, it like was a true moment of integration for me yeah. uh, so i also try to talk with men around okay what are some ways where we can help you with that integration as well david you have a retreat coming up soon in december right can you tell us a little bit about it yeah, so um, Rao's Relational Wellness is in San Francisco in the Castro, and we're going to be doing our, our first in-person men's retreat at our offices. Uh, it's a two-day retreat. Oh, it, I'm clapping. It's, a, it's exciting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, a two-day retreat, uh, on, primarily focusing on anxious and avoidant attachment styles. We're going to have some uh, movement classes in there as well to start the day, um, you know, some... Um, maybe looking at other ways, other providers to bring in as well to really round out the services. But essentially what it is, is help you identify what your attachment style is, how it's working for you, how it's working against you, and how to work through it. And then also there's going to be a big piece on consent at the end of the, the retreat as well. Oh, interesting. So so the goal I'm hearing is, is it's kind of a, a retreat that helps men think about intimacy, relational and sexual intimacy more holistically and looking at attachment and looking at movement and embodiment and then also looking at, of course, permissions and consent and autonomy and what that all means put together. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. The main umbrella is attachment. Yeah. Um, and so that'll be December 2nd and 3rd in San Francisco. Great. Can men come in from anywhere or do they have to live in San Francisco? Oh, no, they can. Yeah, they can travel in from anywhere. Uh, yeah. Great. So how can people learn more about you and your work? Where can they find you if they want to connect? Yeah, we're at uh, rousetherapy.com, R-O-U-S-E, uh, therapy.com. We're also Rouse Therapy on TikTok, on, on Instagram. And uh, you can check out our different workshops that we have and uh, different offerings that we have for everyone out there. Amazing. Please, guys, if you're listening and you've heard anything that resonates with you, please check out the offerings on David's website. It's there aren't enough services for men that really that really focus on the things that are unique to the experience of being men. And I'm just really grateful that you're here doing this work, David. Thanks for thanks for being here. Thank you to you as well, Dr. Kate. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrary. Everyone has questions and I want to answer as many as I can. So feel free to email your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com. If you're looking for a free 30-minute consultation with me or someone on my team, visit modernintimacy.com. And don't forget to join our newsletter, Modern Intimacy, on Substack. Let's meet back here next week. A new episode drops every Tuesday. 
Disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy and does not constitute a professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or Modern Intimacy. This podcast is strictly for education and entertainment purposes only. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.